0: Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective, with your host, Joel Senecace. And now, get ready to
1: think. Welcome back to the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective. I'm your host, Joel Senecace, and this is. Hmm. How shall I put this? It's going to be an engaging episode and uh one that may keep you up at night tonight. And here's how I know that because I was up last night till like two in the morning finishing the book that was authored by today's guest. It's that good. It's that engaging. It is something that you're going to want to read and And this is going to be a conversation that you're going to want to listen to. Before we get started, this is the THiNK Podcast, by the way, in case you didn't know what you were tuning into. Before we get started, I want to draw your attention to something very, very exciting, very urgent right now. And that is, we've got two new cohort-based courses that are starting soon through the Hammer and Anvil Society, which is the Applied Discipleship Wing of the THiNK Institute. And one of them is going to be Starting tomorrow, the apologetics of Jesus and Paul. Then we've got another one starting very shortly thereafter called Biblical Study of Ephesians. And uh, that is going to be um uh that is going to be led by one of our team members. It's going to be very, very good. Check it out. Go to thethink.institute slash hammer and anvil for more information about that. All right. Now, without any further ado, let's uh, let's get into our show. Whether you're getting ready to send your kids off to college or in the world to start lives and families of their own, I know we've got uh, a pretty strong contingent of listeners who are uh, in that category, or you're looking to start your own family in the immediate future, you're going to want to listen to this conversation today very, very carefully every christian father feels concerned if he cares about his kids feels concerned about his kids growing up and staying in the faith and this is a very valid concern given the stats it's reported that 70 percent of kids who grow up attending church will leave the church when they leave home and of those who leave only about half will return back to church and those stats are by the way those are from when uh from when I was a youth pastor, which is a few years back, they may have changed by now. We're going to maybe get some more insight into that today. Generation Z has established itself as the most non-Christian in US history. And we'd be fools to think that that's not going to have a major impact, uh, not only on them, but on our nation and our world as a whole. So in other words, the odds seem to be, if we follow the trends, that no matter what you do, no matter how you raise your kids, your kids are going to grow up and no longer call themselves Christians. And if they don't do this, if they don't experience this, then it'll happen to their kids. This of course is troubling and not just for the state of the church, but because we're talking about our kids, we're talking about their eternal souls and we're thinking about all this in light of the fact that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life only in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, People are rightly concerned, and much ink has been spilled in addressing this matter and bewailing it, bemoaning it. But today, we're going to tackle it from the perspective of someone who does not think that your kids are doomed, irrespective of how you raise them. My guest today believes so strongly that you can keep your kids from falling away that he even wrote a book about it. And the book that I'm holding up in front of the camera right now is The Persuasive Christian Parent. So specifically in this episode, you're going to learn why so many young people are growing up and leaving the church and whose fault that is, what a plausibility structure is. I'm really looking forward to talking about that and how to foster correct ones in your kids' thinking. We're going to talk about some best practices for teaching your kids the kind of perspective on the world that makes them laugh and Dare I say scoff at the world's false false messages. And then of course, we're going to get into some practical actionable wisdom for young parents for soon-to-be young parents And then for those of you who have kids who are going to be young parents for getting their kids off To a good start on the right track. So my guest today without any further ado is The great but not late mike DeVirgilio. Mike, how are you sir?
0: Well, thank you for that introduction
1: that's my pleasure. Let me, uh, let me con- continue the introduction here because you are a graduate of Arizona State University. You received your master's degree in systematic theology from Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia and you spent your career in public relations, sales and marketing. So when it comes to being persuasive, you seem like a pretty good guy to talk to. Um, you are a church elder. You've led a Christ and culture ministry for several years and you write at com, and then also you have a blog, don't you, at mikedvergilio.wordpress.com. Is that right?
0: That's right. That's where I'm writing through the Bible.
1: You're writing through the Bible, okay. Sort of
0: my, sort of my um, quiet time in the morning is reading and
1: writing. Oh, very cool. So, so you're writing um, <clears throat> your devotions out and then publishing those to your blog and... and- well, what
0: happened is, um, in fact, when I talk about in the chapter on the plausibility, sanity moment, and that was probably about 2009, and I said, you know, I'm not sure about this, doing this whole Christian thing, but I know I can pray every day and read the Bible every day, get on my knees. So I read through the Bible from cover to cover, and it so blew my mind, and I'd done that previously, seminary graduate, so I knew it, you know. but it was just so deep, so I said, I got to write about this. So I just started at Genesis 1, and it was in April of 2014, and I'm, I'm James 2 now. Wow. It's, it's awesome.
1: That's totally awesome.
0: Dive in, you know, God is infinitely deep It's just you could write 20 blog posts on it.
1: Amen. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, can I get you to move your mic a little closer to your mouth a yes. little bit? It sounds good, but it's a little, I'm losing you on some of those syllables.
0: Okay. How's that sound?
1: That's better. Yep. Okay. Thank you. All right. So guys, if you can see and hear us both, uh, let me know. Also, if you have any questions as we go, feel free to post them in the comments. And, um, and we'll try to address those at the end if we have an opportunity. So Mike, let's just start off here. Um, with, we talked about your credentials and your educational and career background, but, um, how did you get to the point where you're like, man, I need to write this book, the persuasive Christian parent, what was the impetus behind writing it?
0: Well, and you know, having raised my children, uh, just kind of naturally from, cause for me. The only reason I believe Christianity is, I believe it is because it's true. Hmm. So, I mean, there's no, for me, there's no other reason to believe it. Like I say, I think in the book, I don't believe it because it makes me feel good or makes my marriage better or makes me more moral or whatever. I believe it because it's true. So I've conveyed that to them all their lives in a variety of ways. And so in May of 2015, I read this article about a young woman who um, grew up in a Christian home. She, Bible study, went away to church camp, the whole deal. And um, she goes away to UVA, the University of Virginia, and inst- almost instantly becomes an agnostic. And she wrote a little blog post about her, I don't, I think we can call them deconversion nowadays, but it's yeah. uh, just, you know, I don't know, I'm an agnostic now. Mm. And it so ticked me off. <laughs> and I thought, that would never happen to my children. Mm. I just believe that. Some people think that's controversial, that can't have that confidence but I don't buy that. Hmm. So I said th- I said well I've never I'm an old guy now and, and at the time I think I was 54 and I said uh why don't I just write a book and uh about how I did this and I'd never written a book and it was very intimidating and I always thought about writing a book someday and it uh so that's the result I I uh, started and my first <laughs> friend of a mine at Christ Church of Oakbrook where you and I have some background. Mm-hmm. Um, i My first draft was 110,000 words, and he he laughed out loud. <laughs> I said, "What's wrong?" He goes, "Well, that's probably twice too long." <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, I mean, I I'm writing another book now, and I've I, you know I've learned a lot through this process. So, um, but it, it was it was uh, amazing to, mm. to kind of grapple with all these ideas and say, "Oh, this is what I thought might be Oh, I see. I see where yeah. I got mm-hmm. those ideas and why that is persuasive and and so on. I originally was going to call it Apologetics for Parents. Hmm. Um, but most people, the friend I talked about, he didn't really, um, so most people don't know what apologetics is. Right. You know, and yeah. most Christians. And so I felt this was a better title and, uh, you know, how to build an enduring faith. And I changed the title actually in um, How to Build an Enduring Faith in You and Your Children, because hmm. you know, it has to be in us first. And since I self published it, I just can go on there and Amazon KDP and make the yeah. change.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, I've worked with KDP myself and uh, it's nice. You can, you can definitely make all the changes you want. Although uh, you know, for me it was such a hassle to get it up there the first time just because I'm not a publisher. I don't, you know, no, no, so by too. the time I got it, I'm like, I don't want to make any changes. So whatever.
0: Well, I had, they had some, I, I'm, so I've learned this since it's self-publishing, I got a couple bites from regular publishers, but they, mm. um, you know, I'm just a nobody, so no platform and all that kind of stuff. So, had to eventually do it myself. And I, I had a couple of companies that I tried out, originally published, and that was a disaster. Second company mm-hmm. even went out of business.
1: <laughs> oh, like, wow.
0: I don't think I'll take it personally, but come on. And then I found <laughs> KDP. This took it, this is taking forever. And, uh, and then I tried somebody to help update the manuscript and <clears throat> that was a disaster. And then I, they, mm. they have uh, vendors on KDP that they suggest. I found a, a couple of people in India. I guess it is. And they've oh, been yeah. great. Yeah. So I can make changes and they'll update them for me. I just download them.
1: Oh, very cool.
0: And KDB has support. So you can always sorry get calls uh, whenever you're working through something. So it's been good.
1: That's, that's very cool. So, so you've written the book now it's out, it's, it's, uh, available. You can get it on mm-hmm. Amazon and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, like I said, in my introduction, um, I was up late reading it. Um, I like to take my own, uh, sort of table of contents you know, when I'm reading. So I I take notes in the front cover and then um, I annotate each of the different uh, chapters there in the table of contents. Mm. And, you know, I, Mike, there's so much in this book that we could probably do a whole series on it. I mean, there's just, you really, really packed it with information, uh, which, which is tremendous. I mean, I can't believe it was originally twice as long (laughs) uh, because it's like, well, I think you covered everything in here.
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny because I'm you know again you learn through the process but my betty my best friend in the world his name's greg smith we've been friends since seventh grade and uh so he got all the first drafts <laughs> and he's reading and he goes oh, this is kind of deep <laughs> you know? mm. and i you know i had no idea how to really write to an audience and, sure and so then i let my so i edited 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 and i let my wife read it and she would go what, is, what are you trying to say and i would tell her and she goes well, why do not you just say that, say that. <laughs> <laughs> so So hopefully on my next try I'm getting better at that. But uh, I'm sure this could be edited professionally. And but it is what it is. And I'm 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 excited about especially excited about talking about it because
1: yeah, very cool talking
0: about Jesus is all I I love to do.
1: Amen. Well, I've I've recommended it to our uh, children's and family pastor at our church as well. So we've already been uh, talking about that. But why don't we go ahead and get into it because there there is a lot here. But one of the terms that well, let's say this, one of the issues that you really want to address. Maybe the primary issue for people to really engage with this episode and then with your book is there is this real concern of our kids growing up and leaving the church. So, before we get into what a plausibility structure is and how to inculcate those in our kids, why is this an issue in the first place? Why are so many of our kids, Mike, uh, growing up and leaving the church?
0: Yeah, it's a tra- it's a tragedy, but Yeah. Um, because we have to convince our children that's the whole idea of the book we have to convince our children that that's my first chapter was going to be it's all about truth which it was actually ended up being the second chapter because I thought hey Lindsay is her name the gal who you know, went away to the University of Virginia and punted her faith she obviously didn't believe it was true so in all her Christian upbringing whether it was there or not I don't know right because I wasn't involved and don't know anything about the situation or the people. She, the message never got through to her that this thing they believe in is the truth. So when she um, went away to college, the secular, we're ta- we'll talk about plausibility structure, which is just this, this, that the things that seem real to us. She went away and Christianity no longer seemed real, what she grew up with. And now this whole secular thing of, of uh, at the university, which is, you know, they're permeated with it seemed more real to her and so i believe that most young people who end up leaving christianity they don't do they do it because it just doesn't seem real to them and they never understood that truth is on the line here and this this is ultimate and you know and so i've just realized um i have a little story because uh, like i used to go to christ we used to go to christ church um yeah. in chicago land And on the way home one day, I write about this in book. It's one of the most touching moments of my life. Um, I was always lecturing on the pastor's sermon or whatever it was during that day we were learning about. And my son, who's probably Dominic's, he's 19 now. He's probably eight or nine. He goes, Dad, why are you always lecturing us? I'm going, uh, (laughs) like, and my my youngest, my oldest, uh, Gabrielle, she's 29. She chimed in and she goes, well, Dominic, daddy's always teaching. And it was. One of the great moments of my or if not the well, one of the great moments of my life. And yeah. And I realized that's what I do, that's what I do. And it comes naturally to me. And I know it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Right. But right. I'm hoping that this would, you know, be a, a point of conversation for parents that, hey, it's our job to continually inculcate and in, you know, put into our children the things that they need so that their faith is enduring. You know. And uh yeah. and I think a lot of parents take their kids to church. Send them off to Sunday school, even pray with them, read the Bible with them, mm-hmm. and frankly, that's just not enough anymore.
1: Yeah, um, in in short, why is that not enough, Mike? I mean, if, w- was that enough in the past? What changed?
0: The culture, um, you know, as we see through the centuries, Christianity. I think I say somewhere that being a Christian in Elizabethan England was as easy ethi- as easy as being an agnostic today.
1: Yeah, yeah I remember you making
0: because that point. the whole the whole worldview and everything affirmed the reality of Christianity. That it was indeed true that there was a spiritual reality. And to reject that was to reject everything about your culture and your person and your family. And it was just difficult to walk away from that. Even if it was mediated through the Catholic Church or whatever the whole so Mm -hmm. as enlightenment happened through the 16th and 17th, 18th century and on and on and on, and and, you know the culture became more and more secular, God became persona non-grata right and, and most young um people who don't embrace christianity are not angry philosophical atheists right right god might be there what do i, I call him I, we talk about in the book um the um um the, it's it's um not coming to me right now uh but christopher smith talked about um i want to remember this sorry
1: you're talking about the, uh you're not talking about nuns are you or
0: well, that came at the time in, in 2015. Nuns, uh, okay, moralistic therapeutic deism. Was oh, I was trying. MTD. Yep. Right. Right. So, back in 2015, nuns were all over the media. That was BT before Trump. Mm. <laughs> and I've noticed since then, it's like he takes up all, or took up all the oxygen, still does, but um. But most young people have a faith of moralistic, therapeutic deism. So they think it's primarily about being moral, you know, good, decent, right. kind. Yeah. Therapeutic its what helps me. And deism, God's sort of up there. If I need him in a crunch, he'll be there. But he has no relevance to our daily life. Right. So, in effect, even a lot of Christians are practical atheists because their Christianity is, you know, they believe it. Sure. They go to church. They pray or whatever. But on a daily basis, like last night, and this is just an example of, we could talk about more of the design inference. So, and I'm using this all the time. My son's 25 and we're out in the backyard, beautiful Florida sunset almost. And I said, isn't it amazing, Adam? What chance can accomplish (laughs) mere atoms colliding? And you have this tapestry of beauty every night Yeah. and we laugh because it's absurd.
1: Yeah. I like that phrase in your book, praise chance. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well you have to mock the pretension of secularism i love that as if it can be a um can explain anything right, right. it explains nothing it has so one of the sections in, is on explanatory power and secularism and atheism and materialism explains zero yeah. about the world we inhabit
1: i want to talk more uh, before we're done here i want to talk about um explanatory power and why yeah. christianity biblical christianity has more of it than any other worldview.
0: Oh, it's not even not even close. To it's not
1: even close. I love <laughs> that. Are you familiar with the work of Greg Bonson at all? Absolutely. Okay.
0: Absolutely. Well, i are going to Westminster. Um, right. Just after Van Til had died, okay. he's sort of a demigod you know, there. Mm-hmm. Van Til and Bonson. Um, I guess he died early, young, in the 90s or something. But he yeah. was a brilliant thinker and speaker. Van Tilla is very difficult to relate to. He. His, yes. His, writing is impenetrable, really. Yeah. Uh, But Bonson, you get and understand, and he's, uh, I've loved his, listening to some old recordings of his.
1: Yeah. And I, I love the way he talks about evolution and deep time and he'll just, you can hear the, the disdain and, and and how laughable he finds it in his voice. I'll say, you know, uh, we believe in the Bible as opposed to millions and billions <laughs> of years. And it's just the way he says it. You, you talk. We're going to talk about plausibility structures in a minute, but it's like, there's nothing plausible about this. It's laughable. Whenever, it's just You know, it's it's, it is.
0: Whenever I uh, doubt there's a spiritual reality or that there's life after death, because any normal person that doesn't doubt that it has problems.
1: Right, I, right. Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, but... I look outside and that's just a daily occurrence. And I go, okay, it's a, it's, I've come to this phrase called the consideration of the alternative. Tim Keller, that's in his book, the reason for God. He he says, you know, the burden of proof, we always think it's on us, but somebody who affirms something different is actually affirming an alternative belief and they need to justify that. Right. Not just me justifying Christians have been through that for eons. Mm -hmm. Like we're the only ones that have the burden of proof. So I look outside and I say, that can't be an accident. It takes entirely too much faith for me to believe that is an accident, and yeah. that we're just we're just lucky dirt is a phrase yeah. I came up with, we're just good. mere yeah. matter and collision. <clears throat> Therefore, God's real and spiritual reality is real. So I thank God for for His revelation, Allah Romans one, and in, in creation, in Scripture, which to be is even more amazing than creation.
1: Yeah,
0: and in Christ ultimately,
1: That's
0: Daily to be grateful for, because that's why we believe, not because we figured it all out but but he revealed it to us and does okay. every day and every moment of it.
1: Okay, so so Mike, I uh reading your book, you you struck me as more of an RC Sproul type apologist. Here here's why, here's why I say, it. here's what I here, here's what I was thinking as I was reading. Now granted, this is probably one thirty in the morning as I'm thinking about this. <laughs> so take it with a grain of salt. But um <laughs> but um you're not an ex- if you are a presuppositionalist you're not an ex- explicit one because it's the, you're 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 coming at it from what almost feels like an evidentialist uh uh approach like look around you look does that really seem plausible use your com- it's almost sort of a common sense realism type you know like updated for the 20 21st century but um to what you just said just a second ago sounded very precept. So are you a pre supper? Are you, I'm, where do you I'm find?
0: against, I'm against apologetic methods in, in principle.
1: Okay. You don't like labels.
0: Well, not just not I don't like labels, but it's, I'm not sure that it, there's a biblical precept, a, a biblical apologetic method. Um, cause for me, I, I agree with all of them. I mean, you know, what was, what I struggle with at Westminster was I was reading Sproul's classical apologetics mm-hmm. and he's like, this is the way you start with the evidences for God's existence right. and then you go on to the reliability of scripture, whatever, right? And, and you have uh, other who call themselves evidentialists or I'm a whatever works kind of guy. Okay. And we understand the presupposition. We can't live well. I talk about that. I think in the chapter on truth is there's no presupposition-free existence. Or you know, we all assume things. We all come to the table, and that's why plausibility is so important. Because right. I talk about a double standard. Because secularists say they don't need presuppositions or faith right. or belief. Right. This is just objective reality. You, you religious people have to believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You
0: now we're we're beyond that, and that's where you got to really help mold your kid's minds that that's absurd that we all assume things and we can't even do anything without assuming certain things, certain basic beliefs that are fundamental that you couldn't even think without.
1: Hey, Joel here from the THiNK Institute. Would you like to bring the THiNK Institute to your church, group, ministry, or conference? We can provide high-quality, theologically sound, and engaging education in the areas of evangelism, apologetics, and the biblical worldview. We've spoken at churches, schools, conferences, and groups in Chicago, Indianapolis, Franklin, Tennessee, New Orleans, Dubai, and the Philippines, and more. We want to help your local church, ministry, or conference fulfill your piece of the Great Commission. We can provide teaching in person or remotely using our state of the art conferencing technology. Learn more about bringing me or a member of the Think Institute team to your church, ministry, group, or conference by going to thethink.institute slash booking. That's thethink.institute slash booking.
0: So, I'm an all for them. I'm, I'm, I, I listened to some, I was just, I just read a book uh, about, cause my church, I go to a Presbyterian church and they're full on presuppositional. Okay. And it, it always frustrates me because it seems, I just read this book about Van Til and evidences. And it seems like there's always going on up, my
1: desk right over there. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Was, Christian theistic evidences. Mm-hmm.
0: So straw men, um, and like, they'll say an evidentialist will say such and so. And I go like, which ones? I've never heard okay. them say that, and hmm. so it's it's a it's a debate I think sort of fruitless you know, in the in the longer because there's you know if you talk to somebody and they need they're really I don't know if God exists why would you go into the presuppositions of of start with hey what do you believe where did it yeah. come from you know and then you just kind of go from there I okay I'm not a big on the ABC but you know I do okay. believe God is a God of evidence and I, I talk about that in the book that you know when Moses is doing his doubting. God goes. we we'll throw the, the staff down. Look what happened.
1: Right, 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 <laughs> you know, right.
0: Or Thomas, you know, like, look at my, I'm here. Touch me. Let's eat.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think, um, okay. We, we could go down that rabbit trail. Oh, forever, and I'd right? love to, but I want to talk. I mean, we need to talk about plausibility structures and we've Absolutely. already got comments are starting to roll in. So, mm. um, let's, let's talk about what, what is a plausibility structure, Mike? And then, um, maybe after we define it and work through that, we can talk about how do we inculcate true or biblical, which is, I repeat myself, <laughs> exactly. uh, uh, plausibility structures in the minds of our kids. How were you able to do this? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how can dads with, with young kids or dads whose kids are getting married? Absolutely. And they're going to start their own families. And it's like, right. I want to impart this wisdom to my son for his, you know, for my grandkids. So what right. is the plausibility structure?
0: The word plausible simply means something that seems real to us. Okay. And it's very simple. Everyone knows it. Right. Right. So the idea of a plausibility structure. So in that chapter, I talk about the sociology of knowledge, uh, Peter Berger and the, and the sacred canopy and the sociology of knowledge talks about how reality is mediated to us through Everything through society, through our parents, through our upbringing, right? We don't just um, see reality there for what it is, it's some way mediated to us. So it's a, it could be a complex um, conversation, <clears throat> but the bottom line is what seems real seems real to us, not whether it is real or not. What seems real to us is that whole plausibility matrix structure. Okay. And society determines that so it's it's so when Lindsay of my introduction when she was in church growing up as a teenager it seemed christianity seemed real to her right but however you know you don't blame whatever stuff happens right so she goes away to college and now the secular plausibility structure what seems real in that world from an agnostic god is a um you know santa claus perspective that's just seemed more real to her. She didn't argue through the evidences for God or the resurrection or the reliability of scripture. Right? She just yeah. like, oh.
1: Mike, you're you're making it seem as though we are somehow impacted by society and by the culture around us. But I know that can't be true because we are free thinking <laughs> uh, atomized <laughs> minds who just reason neutrally towards conclusions, aren't we?
0: Yes. No, that's a joke. That's a joke. Now some, somebody, a uh, Christian Smith, no, I forget who it is, another scholar but talks about we're not minds on sticks and you know that, that we're just minds, but that, yeah, literally everything determines what we believe and how we see things and how we perceive things. I talk about in the book, who's, who's the definer. Yeah. If, so when you watch, for instance, here's a good example. We are, my wife and I, we like, I like my job during the day is very demanding and get at night and we'll eat and we'll watch a show. Um, two old people, the, Kids are off wherever, right? Nice. And uh, so we're watching a show called uh, Heartland, which is uh, uh, about my wife loves horses. So it's a 13 or 14 year Canadian series. And it's fascinating to me because God is irrelevant in their world. Hmm. I mean, completely. And uh, <clears throat> they bring in an Indian for some spiritual out, spirituality type of stuff. Sure. Seems profound. Yeah. But God is irrelevant. And I, I've I've written about this. I've talked to my kids about it all the time. Still do. And I even lecture my wife about it. Isn't that amazing how you could watch this show and God is like, you come away with it thinking God's less real and less relevant to existence because you're watching a show that doesn't say anything about God. doesn't berate God. It's just, he's irrelevant. right? So your plausibility structure gets slowly molded to the agnostic secular one. Yeah, maybe God's there and yeah, possibly, but you really don't need him to, to kind of negotiate life.
1: So would you say, have you heard of the term Overton window?
0: Yes. i many times, but I don't know if I've got it defined, but I've just read uh, okay. it in the book recently.
1: Yeah. Well, so I don't know that I, I've got it fully defined either. Um, my understanding of the Overton window is it's, it's the, the, the bracketed set of behaviors and thoughts that are deemed acceptable and mm. sensible to a society, mm-hmm. which it sounds a lot to me like there's a lot of crossover between that and a plausibility structure. Like, yeah. you know, like, like, for example, our, our society's view on marriage, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an Overton window as, as to what, or even if we're just taking sexual mores in general, right. you know, 10 years ago, the Overton window was slid a lot more to the right. Now it's a lot more to the left. So mm-hmm. certain things that, that had been acceptable are no longer acceptable, whereas things that had not been acceptable now are acceptable. And, you know, do you see crossover between that concept and a plausibility structure?
0: Totally. Um, so in the book, I talk about, um, some examples of how we, we see reality differently today. So I use smoking as one because when you watch Uh, an old movie in the fifties or sixties, I I think I talk about mad men. um, Yeah. They're smoking all the time and that would right. get an R rating in our culture today, but people just saw it as, you know, whatever it's a preference and yeah, maybe risky, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and one, one of my favorite scenes is in Mad Men. Um, and I'm, I was born in 60. So this, it was very nostalgic to watch that mm-hmm. show for me, but she's, uh, the wife is pregnant in the, in the doctor's office. <laughs> he lights up <laughs> and offers her a smoke. <laughs> uh, and, oh, the it's, pregnant, it's crass, pregnant, uh, a pregnant, pregnant, uh, pregnant woman. Right, Draper, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I forget her name, but Dawn Draper. But it's so funny to me because that is obscene to us now. I mean, right. we would, we would f- just—they would arrest those people. That doctor would go to prison forever, right? Right. <laughs> right. And uh, and then I also talk about sex, right? We talk about uh, homosexuality and whatever, same-sex mm-hmm. marriage, um, and that was just inconceivable to people. Even Obama rejected it, right? You know, because people couldn't buy it. Now it's just. Oh, normal, you know, yeah.
1: not and only so, normal, you have to celebrate it.
0: Well, that's another story.
1: R- well, oh, <laughs> <fair enough.
0: laughs> but, but, uh, and then also food is interesting. My, my daughter said to me once, and I, and I don't know if I'd read the book I, I talk about in my book, but, uh, you oh, know, that, that, uh, cake is evil. And I said, isn't that interesting how we talk about food in moral terms mm. Mm. and, and, uh, and, and it is just true. So, Like I talk about the, I think it was a hypothetical uh, woman in the fifties, she would see sex as something that was moral and food that was just something you prefer. And it's just, you know, so what if you eat the the thing with a little bit too much fat or too much salt uh, or smoke or whatever, but now it's just, it's utterly turned upside down and inside out.
1: Well, you, you see that too, because, um, you know, this just occurred to me as you're talking, there's that, the passage, I believe in first Corinthians where the apostle says, um, that your body's a temple of the holy spirit and Mm -hmm. uh honor the lord with your bodies and the it's at least in my experience the number one way you hear that applied nowadays is don't smoke and don't eat fatty foods and it's like go back and read the passage in its context it's talking about not uniting with a prostitute sexually that's a that's a sexual moray passage has nothing to do nothing
0: to do with with getting a
1: tattoo smoking a cigar or uh or eating mcdonald's nothing at all
0: right it's just so funny Corinth was a very, uh, it was a port city and there was a ton of pagan religion and, and right. prostitution was kind of the thing to do. And so right. that was a big challenge, but yeah, we, of course we would read it as <clears throat> having to do with health and, and there's nothing wrong. I'm not, I'm not anti-health. <laughs> I try to take care of myself. <laughs> You're but. not, okay.
1: Let the record show. <laughs> Mike D. Virgilio is not anti-health. That's good.
0: That's no. good. But it's interesting. C.S. Lewis wrote, and I, I put it in one of the notes in the back about, um, the the idea of mere longevity, hmm. it was contemptible to him. Hmm. just the idea of, I need to live a few more years. In fact, I was at a, I was out in California for 10 days for a sad occasion for a, my best friend's son's funeral. Hmm. And uh, after that day, I was having dinner with my sister and my mother and my sister's boyfriend. And they're talking about, they're really into everything health and it's just a religion almost so. Uh, I said something about, should we be concerned more about um, what happens to us since we were at a funeral today after we die in our souls? And they looked at me, like, uh, and the, the boyfriend goes, well, um, well, it's still important, the health stuff. I said, well, yeah, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> it's right. not like either or, right? Right. So, again, this is all plausibility stuff. It's it just this, the the idea of health being the sin qua non of existence, the ultimate good. Right. Just seems like something that's true. That's why, don't get me started on the whole COVID thing and masks and, you know, our, our, our entire planet being turned upside down for a, a bad flu. Right. Right. But, right. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I, I think you and I would have a lot of common ground
0: <laughs> on that. Uh, Let's we'll not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we're not, uh, we're not anti facers.
0: Right. Um, but, but just like what I did with my son last night, even though he's 25 and he's fully in. Just do it. I just—it's constant. I never stop that. If, like I, I talk about the um, the clicker and the power of the clicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's—I talk about it in the in the chapters on culture because we have to continually interrogate the culture. We never I let. love it. that. I love that that, that <laughs> well, section.
1: Goodbye, I do that with my own kids. Um, mm-hmm. I recently did a. Uh, I recently did a an episode with. A Christian apologist uh, who's becoming a friend of mine, Eli Ayala, and we talked about how to teach apologetics to kids, specifically presuppositional apologetics. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was saying is, uh, I think it was on that episode. Pause the movie, pause <laughs> it, and my, I do this all the time to my kids.
0: Good, good. You know,
1: especially with Disney or whatever. So as you're oh. as I'm reading your book, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Use the power <laughs> of the clicker. I do that too. You know, you pause it and you go, okay, kids, what did they just say? about you know the good life or truth or what whatever right, okay, right. what what do we know to be true where do we um one of the you know the shows are always trying to be revolutionary by telling you to look inside the answers inside uh. you the powers inside so I'm always like kids where does our power and strength really come from from God okay and uh you know who is the truth or where do we get truth from from Jesus and it's like <laughs> like how is, old are your kids uh the oldest is nine and then it goes down to three we've got four oh, so awesome. nine eight almost seven and then three
0: four good maybe pound out a couple more <laughs> pray, pray about it <laughs> pray for i'm a big us. i'm a big uh pro-natalist now i'm almost catholic when it comes to that we gotta yeah. have more children now. amen
1: amen yeah we do well uh the future belongs to the fertile right amen so
0: amen. and why would you have kids in, in the secular world when you know yeah, and there's no hope for eternity, and it's that's just, right. Uh, this life is all there is. That's right. That's um, right.
1: So, Mike, how do we, um, how how do we inculcate the right kind of plausibility structures in our kids when our kids are so inundated? I mean, you already said interrogate the culture. So, mm-hmm. pause the movie, ask the question: What do we know to be true, kids? Um, that's that's reactive as you're mm-hmm. as you're watching a movie. Right. How do you do that on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis, where you're putting those plausibility structures in place, so that when you pause the movie, when you use the right. power of the clicker, they already know the right answer because Dad's been reviewing this with them what, when? their whole life. Okay, yeah. So, how, so give us a give us a framework on how that works. How do you do that in practice?
0: Well, I'm not sure I ever had a practice because again, I, I wrote the book after I'd look back at my life and think, how do I do this stuff, right? So. Uh, okay. So in a good example, and these kind of chapters go in, in and out. But um, when we were at um, uh, Mount Rushmore, and I talk about that, and, you know, there's four presidents' faces on on, on the mountain. And, it, and I said, isn't it amazing that after billions of years, and I bring this up and my kids start rolling their eyes because they know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I get the Disney eye roll. And I said that just after billions of years of rain and all this weather, and that <clears throat> four faces basically put into a mountain and it so happens that they look like presidents of the United States and it it happens in the United States. It's can you how did that that's amazing that chance and just could do that. And uh and again they're just going, okay Dad, we get it. We we heard it before, but you can't stop doing that. I still do it because
1: Dad's always teaching.
0: Yeah, you have to because again they're gonna go out there and over time though, the any other alternative plausibility structure is just becomes absurd to them my daughter teaches a she works at a classical school which yeah. teaches I, I heard your or i actually downloaded your podcast with doug wilson i can't wait oh, yeah. to listen to that and um because he was one of the stars of that but, but part of classical education is teaching people that objective reality exists right it's there we we don't determine what that reality is the whole culture says no it, In public education, it's what you feel and what you think and how you perceive things that matters, and what makes them what they are. And so, and she's so learned over time that, and a lot of the leaders at her school don't get that. And she's Mm she's constantly having to battle. But again, through all of our lives, it's hey, this there's objective right and wrong, there's absolute truth, and that separates us from the secular relativistic postmodern culture as I talk about in the book. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and one of the things that I really appreciated is how you talk about explanatory power Mm -hmm. and what you say is look our job and i'm paraphrasing you here so correct me if i get this wrong mike but our job as christian parents is actually easier than the other side even okay so they may have the media they may have the schools but um but our job is easier because christianity actually describes the way the world really is so i get if you're approaching it from that regard Like Mm -hmm. from that perspective, I get why you don't like all the, you know, like this apologetic method or that one. Cause it's like, look at the world around you. It's very C.S. Lewisian, you know, Mm -hmm. like look at the world around you. Doesn't this just make sense? Like this is how you're already living your life. So can you tell us about explanatory power and why Christianity has the most uh, explanatory power?
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a, when you talk about keeping your kids and the Christian and building an enduring faith, it's a piece of cake in my opinion <laughs> and it has <laughs> nothing it. to do with me uh, and so you know i am pretty persuasive i'm good at it i you know that's i've just, just whatever right i've learned how to do this all my life i'm a fanatical yeah. studier or whatever and it comes so that's great but reality is what god created that's why um, on the book i quote cs lewis and he says i believe in christianity as i believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And so when you you can when you're continually through all of your children's lives contrasting Christianity's explanation for X, Y, and Z versus <clears throat> secular atheist agnosticism or Buddhism or pantheism or Islam, whatever the case may be, you're constantly contrasting, Christianity always just makes a whole lot more sense. You just look at them and your children go, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah, you know, it's like and and, and and you have to teach your kids to think and ask questions and, and, and just look at things differently. And when someone says, like, my, my son just didn't make a new friend, but was with a guy the other night. And, and my son was going, <clears throat> like, okay, where does morality come from? Mm-hmm. You have this notion of right and wrong. And he's sort of talking to the kid about it. It's like, yeah, there's only one explanation that makes any sense whatsoever. And it isn't. Yeah. Dirt, you know, it isn't just chance. It isn't Amen. the atoms because you can't get to, well, it's a long story, but you can't get to aught from is, you know. That's right. Matter. Um, and so, so explanatory power to me is kind of like the thing because, like, we were at my, uh, this friend's funeral and it's like, okay, how do we explain death?
1: Hmm.
0: Now, people think the problem of evil is a problem for Christians and maybe, but, it has an, it has a plausible explanation for why it exists. Right. Which we were created good. We rebelled and fell away. And now God is recreating the world, redeeming a people for himself, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so what is the atheist's explanation for death and why right. it exists? Why is it morally wrong to slaughter six million Jews or gen, why is genocide even wrong?
1: Yeah.
0: You can go on and on with these questions because what makes sense? What makes sense of the sunset? What makes sense of the flower, you know? I remember looking down. I, it's, I do this. It's easy to share this with your children because it's in you. That's why I changed the title, in you and your children. Because mm-hmm. you have you have to start seeing reality this way. You know, when when you see something on TV and you you click and stop and you say, that's absurd, and you explain it to your kids. And so, like, what do you think about that? Or, yeah, or whatever. And uh, an explanatory power is very uh, powerful. It's I've heard it called the inference to the best explanation. What? best explains a thing and that's anything my daughter when she was born and (laughs) she came out of my wife i go there's a god (laughs) are you telling me you're saying you could look at that and believe there's no god seriously really i was talking to my son yesterday because he injured himself today i said this is amazing blood coagulates we don't every time we cut ourselves we just don't bleed to death
1: that's what you said when your son cut himself a
0: a little no, I had cut myself and, and I was thinking about that because I was looking at my injury heel. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it
0: just blows me away. It just heals and people take that for granted. So C.S. Right. Lewis, a great point. It's good to bring up here. He says the, the uh, virgin birth or, and conception is no less miraculous than any birth or conception. And I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I never thought of that. It's like, he's right. There's nothing natural about Earth, mm-hmm. there's nothing natural about one of these little things going and meeting an egg and then turning into a human. Seriously, right? You think atheist agnosticism and materialism and that can explain that? Yeah, you know, so it just becomes kind of absurd. So, I like I said, my son's 19, I still do this with him your your, your your wrist is healing itself, and God made your body that way. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> so it's yeah. just. That's just kind of how I do it. It's that's why it's not a parenting book per se. Like you do X, Y, and Z, and then this will happen because I don't know what will happen. I just know God's given us this great big reality. His invisible, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that we're without excuse, without
1: excuse since the creation of the world. Absolutely. So. Uh, Mike, before we get to, are you okay to answer a few viewer questions? Absolutely. Okay. So before we do that though, because um, I know you've gotten some pushback in mm. this, uh, you know, on the book, because it sounds like you're making a certain claim that I know you're not making, but maybe you could just get on the record now and say, sure. are there any guarantees? Are you saying plug and play? If you do X, you'll get outcome Y um, uh, because you're 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 presenting this with so much confidence. Like, look, if you build these plausibility structures in your kids, if you're teaching them God's word and you're teaching them the biblical worldview, it's going to have it's gonna to appeal to its, you know, it's gonna reveal its explanatory power and and mm-hmm. quite frankly, they're gonna think that non-Christian worldviews are absurd, as they are. But right. but Mike, are you guaranteeing that your kids are gonna grow up, my kids or anyone's kids are gonna grow up? And, and, um, be Christians when they grow up.
0: Well, the short answer is no, because we can't guarantee anything. Right. And the reason this came up is because, uh, I had some pushback initially I would send out, and I think it's because of my, um, little story on Lindsay and how my, my visceral reaction. I'm Italian. So I'm, everything's visceral. <laughs> <Right on>. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, this could not happen. And so I write that. And I think if I didn't write that introduction like that, I think people probably would be able to read the book and just not have that in their mind. But, um, that was the truth of the matter. I really felt that and I do feel that. <clears throat> and so, um, I, uh, so after I got some pushback, I wrote, um, a little in the introduction, I just said, Hey, listen, you can't guarantee anything. And we're in control of nothing. I mean, I, it's hard to be any more, and I've gotten this pushback from Arminians and Calvinists and everything in between. You can't control anything, but and then I had a, 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 a theologian reformed who who just sorry couldn't he he couldn't endorse the book because he felt like it was uh, piling on guilt on parents whose kids do run away from the faith or whatever. And I said, you know, that's not the point. Jesus paid for the guilt. Why don't we just learn how to become better parents? And you know, if it so. I could go over anywhere with this, but if my child came back from college and said, "You know, Dad, I'm no longer a Christian," I say, "Well, what are you? Okay, well, convince me it's true. Well, well, why do you believe this now?" That's good. Yeah, because like, okay, so if obviously if this is so awesome, whatever this other thing you're into, <clears throat> go yeah. explain. Well, I'm an agnostic. Well, how do you just? And I, you could go. Yeah. yeah there's yeah, so yeah. many different directions you can yeah. go, and and so. There is no guarantee because we have to, it's all God. He gives all men life and breath and everything else. I mean, every heartbeat, every breath, everything he does is by his, for us is his grace. And
1: yeah.
0: So, um, but I make the argument and I do it in my blog because I wanted to respond to this person that we live in a cause and effect universe. I say in the book where God is the primary cause of all things mm-hmm. and we're the secondary cause. If, if you notice, God in scripture only works through human beings, sinful human beings, right. except one, right? And uh, <clears throat> so that he uses us in all of our imperfections and all of our, you know, who we are as sinners, right? He yeah. uses us. And so <laughs> um, so we can have confidence because, so uh, uh, Solomon in Psalm 127, what, said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain who labor at all. Unless the watchman stand guard, <clears throat> you know. Okay. So then, then unless I forget that part, but anyway, so it's not God's fault. If you build a crappy house, (laughs) you know, and that's just right. I I mean, he builds. So like in my day job, when I'm making money, it's like, Lord, and I've spent many moments praying about this and earning a living. It's like, you're building this and I'm building it, but I'm building it working 10 hours a day and I'm trusting you for the result. And, and you know and it's going to work but with that cause and effect we can have that my argument is we can have that confidence and god mm. has given us as c.s lewis said the whole of reality is one like i call in the book it's a plausibility feedback loop mm. it just constantly affirms that god is true and this is real and christianity is true and the scriptures are what they say they are my other my next book is on the bible and how it just it's just so mind-blowing like what god has given us in scripture it's just yeah. so, so so no guarantees no
1: one, no guarantees,
0: but, but you can absolutely have confidence.
1: And we don't live in a we don't live in a random universe. No. If you if you take a certain action, especially if it's one that God has said to take, and, and as right. we're about to transition to some viewer comments here. But uh, gospel ambassador in is watching on YouTube, and and he's saying, uh, you know, he's quoting Proverbs twenty two six: Train up a child in the way he should go when oh. he is old he will not depart from it. And you know the my understanding is the way that that verse what that verse is actually saying it's not it's not only train up the child in the way he should go but whichever way you train up your child that is the the route he will stick on. Oh, he yeah. so if you train up a child in the way he should not go you should expect that.
0: Right. Well my first first section is on the the, the- I was going to first call it, it's all about truth, that first chapter. And then everything I wrote about, it's like, it's, it's all important. So, like, so all the chapters, it's all about. So it's all about parents all right. and sociologically and biblically. The fact is that the most important influence in a child's life is the parent by far. Amen. Right. And if we abdicate that responsibility, something else is going to raise them or, or determine their plausibility structures and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's, and, and the Bible is from beginning to end. If you do a Bible word search and put child in there, or children. It's just and read through the Old Testament, and all the references is you, your children. The secret things belong to you and your children, mm. right? Deuteronomy twenty-two 20, and twenty-nine, and and everything is about teach them, teach them, teach them, teach them, yeah. teach, them, teach them. the Word of God. Write it on your end, teach your children, and talk about it when you lie. About it. And it's just it's just constantly. So and and I'm uh, being reformed. I I, I'm, I believe in baptizing children because I believe a covenant. Our co- God, children are our covenant children. God promised. So they're not strangers to the covenant. So they're part of God's promise to us. I mean, we have
1: yeah, people. I believe in baptizing kids too. As soon as they make that credible profession of faith, just baptize them. Oh, you're Baptist. Ah, <laughs>
0: we'll have that conversation sometime. <laughs> Next time. Well, yeah. that's what I have in the book when I talk about Reformed theology. I got some pushback here in Tampa from a Christ uh, a guy who uh, belongs to the Church of Christ in his little publishing business. Oh. And he said, uh, he didn't like the reform part. I said, can't really yeah. take that out. So yeah. I say at the beginning, if... If you're a lot into this whole reform thing, just skip this job. You know? Well to me, right it's, it's and fundamental look, to
1: me. So I I wrote a catechism uh from my own kids that a lot of uh s- several other families have appreciated and some churches have adopted and whatnot. That's and I, I put my theological convictions right out at the beginning. I say, okay. look, I subscribe to New Covenant Theology, uh Believers Baptism, you know, I'm a Calvinist. I put it all in there because that those theological convictions are what are sitting behind this catechism, so Absolutely. if I believe that they're very consistent, so I want you to see where the you know I'm not just going to pretend like those things didn't give rise to these positions. So I, as as I'm reading about infant baptism, I'm I'm you know debating with you in my mind as I'm reading, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't think that that follows. I don't think that gives. Rise. But I'm like, but I'm glad that you put that in there because that's though that's part of the the structure. Right. That, that has given rise to your argument. So, you know, I didn't begrudge you for putting those in there. Uh, well, one of I, my
0: favorite verses has become related to anything about anything I believe is 1 Corinthians 8 2. And Paul says, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know.
1: As he ought to know. That's right.
0: And that's, that's not good. calling for cynicism or skepticism, because Paul right. says in the first verse, we all have knowledge. Hmm. <clears throat> so, and the more you know uh, in anything, in any field, the more you realize you don't know. And yes. if you don't learn that, then something's wrong. You yeah. know, and so, so you just have, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a little less dogmatic about pretty much everything as I've gotten older because I was very much, we'd be date, we'd be going at it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, good. That's
0: great yeah. in its context. And if it's necessary, if somebody cares about baptizing there, I've convinced my niece to uh, baptize her child. And I gave her uh-huh. Doug Wilson, who used to be a Baptist. That's right. I gave it to, to a, a thousand generations. Yeah. To a thousand generations, um, which, Hey, by the way, I'll give a shout out to the pedo Baptist great arguments by Doug Wilson. Let,
1: let me put you on full screen here. Okay. Actually, I don't think I want to, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to promote that heresy. Uh, um,
0: the <laughs> fighting words. No, it's, it was very helpful reading him because he goes through some arguments that I'd never heard before. Hmm. Very powerful. And uh, so anyway, but that's a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well,
1: um, well let's go ahead and get to a, a few of these comments and, uh, um really, uh Gospel Ambassador's been blowing up our our comments here on YouTube. So um I wonder if you'd have an answer to this one, Mike. He says, which apologetic book is best to be used as a textbook for children? Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Oh no. I listened to um <clears throat> I listened to uh, apologetics three fifteen when I first got back into apologetics in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. Um that was a huge resource. Uh, Brian Naughton is, was the proprietor then, and then he left and he came back. And so that they do a podcast now. And if you go there, they do a podcast on um, children and apologetics. Mm-hmm. And they mention some resources. I don't remember them off the top of my head. But if you go to apologetics315.com, and, and uh, they mentioned several because there's I, th- I think even um, William Lane Craig has written a book. Um,
1: yeah, he's got several kids' books, I know.
0: Okay, stuff like that. And he's an cool. apologist, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Absolutely. but I never did give my, you know, you know, it's interesting. There's a, a favorite word in evangelicalism called being, um, not purposeful, but uh, intentional. intentional? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I'm probably the most like praying with my kids and doing family devotions. You know, I was terrible at that stuff. And, um, and I, and I told my, I, my, I told that to my daughter one day, cause I was just kind of being a little feeling guilty. Like, I wish I could have done that more, you know, and as I mm-hmm. got older, it was like herding cats, you know, and sure. we'd already developed those habits and I wish I'd developed them earlier. And she goes, well, dad, um, at least you convinced us that Christianity is true. I said, well, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? that's So, awesome. so yeah, so it's been more of a kind of a ad hoc as I learn stuff and as God is teaching me about reality and I'm just. Yeah, now in constantly engaging, and it's uh, it's it's just so fun. I just having the little little ones, little babies is is awesome. Yeah. But when they start asking questions, yes. you have to start teaching them about life. Well, and as they get older and having to engage reality, and I talk about res- responsibility and what an apologetic that is, and taking responsibility for your life.
1: Totally, on and, on. and and you know, for you dads out there, moms out there, the that persuasive. Christian parent. It's not for kids, but right. it, it, it'll equip you to disciple your own kids. And this is what I talk about when people sometimes ask me, how do I teach my kids apologetics? What I say is you don't need to teach your kids apologetics no. yet. Teach them the biblical world and life view. Yeah. And the apologetics is going to fall into place it because there's, there's a reason why Christians, once they learn what it is, they love apologetics, whether it's evidentialism, classicalism, precept. Be, it's because we already believe and we love to see God's truth being vindicated. So, you well, got believe, to get your kids I, to that point.
0: Yeah, I believe so. I think apologetics is far more as a ministry or to the church to
1: us to strengthen our faith and right, and, absolutely yeah, overcome I mean, doubt. Sure,
0: we always tend to see it as like the atheist debates, and I, I just I'm not really a fan of all that, but to me, it's helping build our faith because, especially, we live in a hostile secular culture that hates us.
1: Yes, so and and, and which, by the way, can shake Christians' faith to the core. And if you look at, you read, I think it's Acts, maybe Acts 16. Um, maybe it's, I think it's 18 actually. It talks about Apollos, Mike, and it, it talks about how Apollos used to go into the synagogues and would reason with them and, 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 um, right, can, uh, convincingly argue that Jesus was the Messiah is the Messiah. And it says he was a great help to those who by grace who uh, had believed. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't say and he won a ton of converts, although I'm sure that did happen. It says that he encouraged believers. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this program. I know that's what you're trying to do with your book. So, you know, it's amazing,
0: because when you really start to engage people who are believers, or just, you know, they want to be or and and you just start whether it's your kids or, or relatives or friends or whatever. And, and, and it just, it's like, wow. And they you could see lights go on constantly. Yeah. I never thought of that. One yeah. of the great right. books I would suggest everyone gets totally awesome is by Greg Kokel called Tactics. Tactics. Mm-hmm. One of the best things ever because it's <laughs> Colombo. Mm-hmm. oldest people like me would know what Colombo was. It was a right. TV show in the seventies sure. and he would always be asking questions like, ah, ah, and he would just be like absent-minded, but he'd ask the question and all of a sudden the truth would come out. You know? Right. And so and most people like I tell my kids, most people have no idea what they believe. So they're making these assertions. They have no idea why they believe. So you just ask a question and all of a sudden they go, uh, uh I don't I'm not really sure why I believe. Yeah. And so and it shows how powerful Christianity is and how the alternatives are just found.
1: Love poverty. it.
0: Love yeah, it. it's really good stuff.
1: Uh, gospel ambassador also suggests I don't have enough faith to be an atheist in stealing from God by yes. Frank Turek. And then I'm going to go ahead and give a, a shout out uh, to my own book, Kids, which is the catechism that I wrote for little, little ones. You can get that uh, at thethink.institute slash Catechids. Actually, I, I wrote the address on there. Wrong yeah, I don't,
0: I don't have a faith, enough faith to be an atheist. Was I use that a lot in my book. Did you really? Oh, yeah. It's very, uh, that was Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, stuff. right. That, that's right. Um, well, cool. Well, um, so speaking of your book then, as we begin to draw to a close mic, um, where can people find your book? What's the best place? to get it and uh how can they get in touch
0: with you well amazon um not a big fan of amazon nowadays but it's right <laughs> boy um there'll be competitors in due course obviously but yeah. uh they do they do great work so but but in the in the kdb platform it's the distribution is everywhere so mm-hmm. um i assume barnes noble and whatever other online stores um you know amazon is very easy um but it's in kindle as well as as, uh, as the paperback
1: yeah so, okay. So, so, so definitely check that out. And I I don't know if, if KDP puts things out on Barnes and Noble, you'd probably know better than me. Well,
0: but. right. They do distribution to everything. And, and you, there's a way okay. that you can choose what they do and don't. And um, so I, I figured, I, I think I put it out there.
1: Everywhere. Awesome. Okay. Well, there, there you have it. And then you can also
0: oh, oh just get in touch with me. I, my persuasive dot to com or org. I forget. Um, but the, um, my email's in there and they can you know feel free to contact me and i love Wonderful. interacting you know I've, c.s lewis i was just reading recently um he he replied to every letter he ever got i mean really? is <laughs> not that amazing that's
1: <laughs> totally amazing
0: yeah so you, um, you
1: didn't have uh, any netflix shows to stream i guess late at night yeah like exactly yeah
0: exactly <laughs> so no yeah oh, so that's it's it cool. and, uh, it's a blast
1: Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I appreciate you uh, writing this book. Appreciate you coming on, spending, spending time with us. Um, I know it's going to be helpful for a lot of people and, um, you know, looking forward to our next conversation. So absolutely. Thanks a lot, brother.
0: Okay. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate your time.
1: Well, everyone, thank you so much for watching this episode of the Think Podcast. Um, You know, I really enjoyed our conversation today. The idea... The, the discipline of discipling your children to believe Christian truth, which is just another way of saying truth is something, as you know, if you've been watching this show at all for any length of time, it's something that's hugely important to me. It's really on my heart. It's on my mind all the time. Um, even to the extent, you know, I wrote this catechism, catechids, but, um, some of my most popular Episodes have been on the subject of education. So if you are interested in that, you can search our YouTube channel, search the podcast and uh, you can get more content on education, Christian education, classical education, uh, worldview stuff. You can get all that in our back catalog. So I want to encourage you to do that, invite you to do that. And, um, you know, if you'd pray for me as well, starting in this, uh, the, the fall, I'm going to be teaching an apologetics course. And working on developing an apologetics curriculum that's, that's, um, uh, duplicable for any Christian homeschool co-op. And, uh, so if you'd pray for me in that endeavor, that's something that, that's, uh, really, really, I think there's a lot of potential there. Really looking forward to that. Uh, pray for me as I develop that, and as I teach. I'm going to be doing it at at least one. Co op and then uh, possibly a second one, but then Lord willing, that'll lead to other opportunities in the future. I also, speaking of teaching, want to just remind you we have an Apologetics of Jesus and Paul cohort based course that's going to be starting tomorrow. So if you haven't registered yet, you can go to slash hammer and anvil, hammer and anvil. And uh, if you're listening to this later, go ahead and go to that website anyway, because there's going to be new offerings that are uh, that are coming up. So opportunities for you to learn. I love teaching, I love talking about all this stuff, and uh, believe me, I am really looking forward to going through the Apologetics, how Jesus and the Apostle Paul did Apologetics, engaged in it. So we'll be doing an introduction to Apologetics the first week, and then um looking at five of those examples in the remaining five weeks. So definitely go check that out. And um, check out Mike DiVergilio's book if you haven't done so yet. I don't know. Pause this and go get the book. It's such a good book. Pause this right now. Go and then come back uh, and listen to me close out the rest of this. I will be here waiting for you, but you need to go get this book. Definitely go do it right now. And if you like more books, you're looking for more recommendations, you can go to the book register on our website, the book register at Institute. All right, I think that about wraps it up. I certainly hope you heard something helpful. Um, If you haven't done so yet, subscribe on YouTube, hit that bell so you never miss a moment, subscribe to our podcast. And um, hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us an honest five-star rating and review. We've gotten a lot of good reviews, but uh, it's been a while since anybody left us a review, and I'm not feeling the love, guys. I, I need to feel the love. Help me help you leave me an an honest five-star rating and review. That helps get the reviews out. That helps get uh, the, 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 the podcast out to more people. And I greatly appreciate it. All right. I think that about does it. Hope you heard something helpful. I know I certainly did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. Until next time, I hope it made you think.